Howdy and welcome to the 10-week Bible study. This is week 7, day 1 of our study of Acts. I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and today we're talking about Acts 18, 1 through 28. Welcome back to the 10 Week Bible Study. Again, I'm your host, Aaron Hibbs. Before we get started, I want to encourage you to check out all of the resources we have over at 10weekbible.com. We need to know the Bible now more than ever, so it may be your time to start leading a Bible study group at your church or a small group in your home. With that, let's go ahead and pray before we start today. Lord, would you open our eyes and our ears to hear what your word has to say to us. God, speak to us and fill our hearts with the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. With that, let's jump into God's Word to be reading today from the NIV. This is Acts 18, starting in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. There's a constant problem with Jews in the Roman world. We know that you know Claudius, this actually happened, Claudius kicked all of the Jews out of Rome, just said, I don't want any more Jews, I can't stand you guys. Um, there, there was some serious anti-Semitism. Some of the anti-Semitism, right, I don't want to downplay demonic anti-Semitism, that's not my point here, but some of this is, is also on the part of the Jewish people earned, the, the irritation that they caused. Um, <clears throat> Especially in in Jerusalem, in the the land of Judea and Israel, there were constant terrorist attacks. The 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 uh, zealots, the Jewish zealots, they were constantly performing terrorist attacks. And in fact, Josephus talks about several that they would do in Jerusalem, especially. They would sometimes attack people on the road outside of Jerusalem. <clears throat> but very often in Jerusalem, just to try and make Jerusalem ungovernable, they would go into the market and they wouldn't attack like a Roman soldier or anything like that. But a, a zealot would go into the market with a, a sword in a, in a sheath, a scabbard that had sheep's wool on the inside of the scabbard. And they would go in with a long trench coat kind of thing and they would secretly kind of clandestinely pull that sword out and just run someone through at random, right? Just kill somebody at random in a very crowded market and then put the sword back in that sheepskin scabbard so that it would absorb all of the blood and there wouldn't be like a trail, right? To, to follow them and see who did it. And, and that would just send everyone into pandemonium, right? Everything would go crazy. They would do that on a regular basis just to try and make Jerusalem completely ungovernable. They were just trying to be a, a thorn in the side of the Romans, and they did this kind of stuff. They just never got along. And the Romans, for their part, they just didn't really understand the way that Jews thought about law and religion and all of these kinds of things. They never got them. They never understood them. Josephus himself even wrote two books, uh, The Wars of the Jews and The History of the Antiquities of the Jews, The History of the Jews. And those two books essentially were his effort in trying to explain to their Roman overlords who they are, why they, where they came from, why they are the way that they are. It didn't really do much for them. They never really understood them. And so all during this time period, there's, there's a lot of anti-Semitism. There's a lot of tension. So Claudius kicks them out. We see that they face this kind of stuff. I mean, you know, we see Pontius Pilate is essentially, he's very anti-Semitic against Jesus and all of the Jews. doesn't really like them. We see that from extra biblical sources as well. And so there's, there's just a lot of this going around. So they have a very difficult time. All right, continuing on. Paul went to see them. 
verse three, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. I love the fact that, you know, he finds Aquila and Priscilla and these two become companions of his, close companions for the next several years. And they're actually going to become, you know, wonderful ministers of the gospel as well. And, and so we see here also that Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, their business, kind of their trade that they use to make money is that they actually make tents. They set up tents, they, maybe they sew the tents and, and erect them. You know, there's lots of occasions where people needed tents for temporary shelters and things like that, maybe pop-up shops, stores in the marketplace, things like that. There's always a need for tents. We have it today and in those days as well. And so this is one of the ways that they made money. And we're going to see later in the book of Acts where Paul is like saying, he's going to tell them, I always worked so that I never had to depend on asking you for money to support the missions that I was doing. Now, Paul did receive money. He would get money from people, but he was never going around begging for it and saying, I need this from you to keep me going. He always tried to work is what he's going to tell us to make sure that he never had to do that. Verse 5, when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And again, this is what Paul does every time, right? He goes to the synagogue, he reasons with them, and then, you know, people... uh, they they reject him. The Jews eventually reject him. And uh, then he goes to the Gentiles. This is a, a little bit different than some of the other times. Uh, I love what happens here, verse 7. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. So the synagogue leader and everyone else in the synagogue, they're rejecting him. But the synagogue leader, he's, he believes in Jesus. He gives his life to Jesus. And then he essentially follows Paul. He gets kicked out of the synagogue that he leaded there, that he led. And they go next door to this, this guy's, this, uh, it's a Gentile because he says he's a worshiper of God, right? This is a God-fearing Gentile in kind of our nomenclature of the book of Acts. So they go next door to this Gentile's house. They start meeting there on a regular basis. And the synagogue leader kind of defects and follows Jesus with Paul. Now we know that he loses his position in the synagogue. Probably he loses a lot. He and his family lose a lot for doing this. We're going to see that uh, they're going to replace Crispus with somebody else. Verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. I I, I like this. I find this, I find this fascinating, right? Paul... 
he's moved around a lot. All of his missionary journeys, he's never camped out very long anywhere because trouble always follows him. And it's always the Jews that are making trouble and stirring him. He's been stoned. He's been run out of town. He's been beaten. He's had all sorts of terrible things happen. And we know from some of his epistles that there's actually more things that happen to him than what we read about in Acts. He's had, you know, just a, a lot of just really, uh, a lot of persecution in his life. And so he moves around a lot to kind of, he's, he's really running from this persecution. And it's, I don't know that it's necessarily that he's, he's just afraid or that he's kind of in this sinful fear or whatever. I mean, this is just normal humanity, right? It's like, they're going to keep beating me. I'm going to go somewhere else where maybe I can find someone who listens. He's already seen that where he goes to Berea and they're you know, they were more noble character, it said, and they're listening. So he's, he's going and he's trying to find that low hanging fruit, the people that are hungry for the gospel want to hear it as opposed to just continuing to beat on these rocks that want to beat him back and stone him to death. Right. So, and that's what he's doing. And so I love that the Lord is like, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to keep preaching boldly. Even though the Jews are opposing you, don't be afraid to keep preaching boldly here in Corinth. And so Paul takes that and he takes strength from that and courage from that. He stays in Corinth for a year and a half. This is the longest he's spent anywhere yet. Verse 12. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, that's the Greek peninsula, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. Verse 13. This man, they charge, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. He drove them off. Then the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. So we see here that a new guy, Crispus was the original synagogue leader, now Sosthenes is the synagogue leader. And when Gallio's like, I don't want to deal with you and your silly Jewish laws. Get out of my court. I just go away. And before they go away, right, they all just maybe take a few steps and all of these Jews, they turn on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and they start beating him. And, you know, the guy responsible for keeping the peace there, Gallio, he just watches them beat him and he didn't care. Right. This sh again shows you the anti-Semitism, the, the anti-Jewish sentiment throughout the Roman world now. And again, this is after Claudius has issued a decree banning all Jews from Rome. So now it's essentially... It's public knowledge. It is essentially legal for all of these people, all of these Roman rulers and governors to, to be openly anti-Semitic. And we see that here. We see that they are, are mistreating the Jews or allowing the mistreatment of Jews, and they don't care. Verse 18, Paul stayed on at Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Chantria because of a vow he had taken. Now, if you look in the Old Testament, there's a thing called the Nazarite vow. Yeah, the most famous Nazarite was Samson because God told his parents, I want him to be a Nazarite from birth all of his life. But that was actually very 
That, w- that was not normal. A Nazarite vow was something that someone would take voluntarily on a short-term basis. Six months, year, two years, whatever it might have been, you just determined the length of the vow and then you walked that out. And the way that you, it was normally done, right? Because the Nazarite vow, you couldn't drink wine, you couldn't touch dead things, even go to your own parents' funeral if, it, if that came about. And you couldn't, you couldn't cut your hair during the time period of the vow. And so the way it normally would work is you would shave your head and present that hair as like an offering before the Lord and then start the vow and your hair would start to grow out again. And then at the end of that vow, when the vow is complete, you would shave your head or cut your hair again to symbolize the end of the vow and and then make an offering of that hair before the Lord. And so this look, it doesn't say it specifically, but this is almost certainly a Nazarite vow that Paul is taking. Verse 19, they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. All right, there's a lot of movement going around here and I'm not like going into all of the the locations here, but essentially what we look at is modern day Turkey and modern day Greece. That's where Paul's going around. Corinth is in, in the Greek peninsula Ephesus is on the far west coast of what's modern-day Turkey. Um, These were the Roman provinces of, of, say, uh, Achaia and Asia. Uh, Ephesus would have been in in Asia. Aquila and Priscilla are from Pontus. This is what we would now consider northern, kind of north-central Turkey, what would be the Ankara area and, and north of there. And so they have different names for all of this. Almost every Bible in existence, has these missionary journeys in there. If you have one, I encourage you to look those up. You can look the the maps up online. I didn't want to spend a lot of time, you know, going over those maps because Paul's moving around a lot, but it's essentially Greece and Turkey, what we call Greece and Turkey, and then down to Jerusalem and then up to Syria in, in modern terms. That's where he's been going. And so he goes to Jerusalem Again, this is the, he's been to Jerusalem several times now, goes there. And then after that, he goes uh, back to Antioch. And remember again that they always say go up to Jerusalem because it's like it's physically higher. And when you're walking with your own two feet, you feel the elevation change getting up to Jerusalem and then they go down to Antioch, walking like physically lower in elevation. Verse 23. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Now, Galatia and Phrygia, these are the areas where he went on his first missionary journey and uh, where he got stoned and, you know, all, all of that. So that's kind of the area he's he's going to. This is kind of central-ish southern Turkey. And so this is now the beginning of his third missionary journey. If you're kind of keeping track or looking at all of the maps that you have in your Bible, they would normally break out Paul's journeys into four distinct missionary journeys. This is the beginning of the third one. This is really kind of his last missionary journey, in my opinion. The the fourth one that a lot of the maps show is really his uh, captivity, if you will. It's him being 
Uh, it's on his way to Rome, but he's really a prisoner the entire time. You can consider it a missionary journey because he's still preaching all along the way. But this is really his last intentional missionary journey. Let's say that. Verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. So uh, Apollos, he's from Alexandria. This is in Egypt. This is the, the great city of Egypt in the, the Roman world, right? Alexander the Great, he conquers Egypt, makes a new city right there on the coast uh, at, the, at the mouth of the Nile River, calls it Alexandria. It had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the, the Pharos of Alexandria, the lighthouse there, the, the great... Library of Alexandria was there. So he is a, one of the intellectuals. He's a Jew, and there was a large Jewish population there as well. He was a, a, a Jewish intellectual who lived in Alexandria. And so he eventually comes to Ephesus. But he's a convert to Christianity. But as we're going to see here, he only got part of the story. His exposure to what happened during Jesus' lifetime and while he was in Israel, while Jesus was on earth, uh, his exposure and understanding of that is limited. Let's continue on. Verse 25. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Right, So he only knows the baptism of John. He doesn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't know about what's happened at the beginning of the book of Acts, the day of Pentecost, and what the Lord has done through, um, you know, he doesn't know what the Lord has been doing, right? So it, it seems like he doesn't know that the apostles in Jerusalem have said, we don't want to put any further burdens on the the Gentiles, they don't have to first convert to Judaism. It doesn't say this here, but my expectation is, is that he's having people convert to Judaism before they become Christians. And that's what uh, part of what Aquila and Priscilla are explaining to him. Verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, that's Greece again, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was there. Uh, he was a great help to those who, by grace, had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. This is a big deal, right? Like he's actually going out in public and debating the Jews and and trying to convince those hearing that no, the scriptures do say that Jesus is the Messiah. The, the problem that, that all of the, the Jews had was that Jesus as the Messiah did not come and overthrow the Roman government. In their understanding of the Messiah, and I like to say it like this, the Messiah is supposed to, he's supposed to come to earth, he's supposed to kick butt and take names. Right, he is supposed to uh, subjugate all of the earth, earth's governments under his rulership, as he sits on the throne of David in Jerusalem. And as we read the Old Testament scriptures, that is very true. The Old Testament scriptures make that very clear. 
in Jesus, in, in his, in, in what he explains about the end times and the coming age, that's also very true. Jesus understands that. And the book of Revelation makes that very clear that Jesus is going to come back and he really is going to subjugate all nations under his rulership, sitting on the throne of David in Jerusalem. So all of those things are true, but but all of these Jewish leaders and all these people, they're like, Jesus can't be the Messiah because he didn't do these things. And so Apollos and all of these people are saying, no, 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 you misunderstand the, the, the scripture in Daniel, the prophecy of the weeks, You're misunderstanding, you know, several of the prophecies in Isaiah, he had to come, the Messiah had to come and die. He had to become the replacement for the annual sacrifices and the regular atoning sacrifices. He came to be the replacement for all of those things once for all. He came to forgive us of our sins, to take away our sins so that we can be with him forever. And then he's coming back to do all of these other things that you accurately understand him to do. Messiah comes twice. The Old Testament makes it very clear. And so that's what they're refuting. That's what they're talking about. So the, the, the Jews and their understanding of the Messiah, they weren't fully wrong, but they weren't fully right. And this is, the, this is the rub. This is the sticking point, right? And it's the thing that they latch onto because they really hate the Romans. And we see that the Romans kind of return the favor. They don't like the Jews. The Jews don't like the Romans. And that becomes the reason why they reject Jesus as Messiah because he didn't overthrow the Romans. But understand this correctly, Jesus, all of the Old Testament prophecies, the New Testament prophecies make it very clear. Jesus is returning. And at that point, he will overthrow all human governments. He will, he will, um, anyone that does not bow the knee to him, he will make bow the knee to him. It says every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is King over all that is coming. That is our great and glorious hope forever and forever. For the 10-Week Bible Study, I'm your host, Darren Hibbs, and I can't wait to see you next time. Hey, thanks for tuning into the 10-Week Bible Study podcast. If you've enjoyed this podcast, would you consider leaving a review for it on your podcast app of choice? It really helps other people find out about this podcast, and my heart is for people to fall in love with God's Word. Thank you.